Hey, good morning. It's glorious morning. And uh, looking at there's a pit bull on a sofa, and he's he looks very comfortable, and um, he's looking dozily at the family of ch chickens. So, man, a husband, a wife, and a mother and father. Uh, I mean, like, okay, and two babies to the twins. I call them the twins. One is Penguin and the other one doesn't have a name. If you want to name my other chicken, Penguin and it's black and it's probably going to be speckled. I think. Should be pretty. Um, might even be you know, purple. So I'm getting purple chickens. I, I, I raised purple nano chickens. <laughs> Anyway, so um, this morning, while we listened to the January 6th hearings, which I've set up to go here, um, I'm going to do uh, I'm going to do a little ride around the block. It's good. I need to. Um, it's a good thing to do. It's how to want to know how to start your life and be uh, how to start your day and be productive. One of tips, Trista's tips and tricks. Uh, this is, a, and this is according to the four-hour workouts. Um, which uh, you know, four, which is a great book full of awesome tips. Um, to, you know, if you want to be more productive, work out whatever it may be, um, but. Uh, Get your, um, you know, your blood. It's not just like your circulation or whatever. What wake yourself up, but um, you know, get your metabolism going. Burns, you know. It gets the synapses flowing, man. Come on, stand it. So, yeah, um, thanks for 7,500 followers, plus, and a shout out to KAMP Student Radio at the U of A, and KPYT, Papuyaki Tribe. Um, down the street and Tona Awesome too. If you want me to be on your radio, send me up. Syndicate myself. Student radio and tribal radio. Student and tribal. I mean that's that's my ticket to Rahats. My ticket, that's my ticket when I prove myself and make myself uh, useful to those societies of the student population and the artists too. They're amazing artists in this town. It has a lot of talents, especially like musical talents. Wow. Yeah. Got so much going on for them. I mean, 
for some reason, this town is packed with talent. Tucson, two stoned, arid stoner. Thank you, Arizona voters, for going recreational. Um, that's pretty nice. Anyway, please go to https colon slash slash bit.ly slash 3ka1mmd to sign my move on petition that I started to indict Trump. It basically it's uh, to a Congress, like an FBI, Department of Justice, White House, January 6th committee. Hmm. I should double check and make sure it is like. Hmm. I should address it to January 6th committee. Maybe it'll get more hits. Because, uh, yeah, everything I do is suppressed. So if you are one of the few people who actually do hear this podcast, go sign it. And also, um, you know, get it going on, share it, share it, um, or, and even better yet, you know, I'm just, I'm just one person, you know, fucking farting in the breeze, uh, because of Kevin at DHS, and the Kevins at DHS, suppressing everything I do, um, so, I'm I'm student anyway, finding new ways to um, try to get the word out, the gospel, good word, of the Trista, gospel of Trista. <laughs> and yeah, in my gospel, we tax the church. So yeah, even better than yeah. Don't don't bother. Nobody's fucking signing my petition. Don't bother go signing my petition. Better yet, best thing to do for your country, like JFK said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I repeat. Ask not. What your country can do for you? Ask what you can do for your country. Anyway, this the shit's freezing. It's not playing. <laughs> So um, that's one reason why I'm doing my announcements first. It's not working. They don't want to show me. They don't want me to broadcast this. Cover it. Okay, let's uh, let's check this out. Let's see if this one works. Okay, here we go. 
Are you still there? Yes, you are. Okay, yes, we're gonna. Oh shit. I lose it. I think I lost it. <laughs> okay, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't stop it. Okay, when I start it, and plus I'm gonna. I'm just gonna make comments. I'm just gonna make comedic comments. If you like art, by the way, if you like comedy. Actually, comedy number one. Most important thing for me in this show. Okay. Then uh, subscribe. Give me a five star review. <laughs> From New York, this is Democracy Now! I would have laid my body across the road before I would have let the vice president overturn the 2020 election on the basis of that historical precedent. In its third public hearing, the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection showed how Donald Trump knew his plan to overturn the 2020 election was illegal, but pushed Vice President Mike Pence to do it anyway, with backing from attorney John Eastman. Witnesses testifying on Thursday included the retired conservative judge, Michael Lutick. We'll bring you highlights of the hearing, and we'll stay in the Capitol to speak with four people's campaign leaders, Liz Theo Harris and Bishop William Barber, about this Saturday's massive moral march on Washington. We are not trying to get back to normal. Normal is not what we need. Transformation is what we need. We already know truth and love and justice win. Our job is to run all the way through the finish line. But first, the UK Home Secretary has approved the extradition of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange to the United States, where he faces up to 175 years in prison if convicted of violating the Espionage Act for publishing classified documents exposing U.S. war crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan. We'll get an update from Julian Assange's brother. All that and more, coming up. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange to the United States. Assange faces up to 175 years in prison in the United States if convicted of violating the Espionage Act for publishing classified documents exposing U.S. war crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan. WikiLeaks said today Assange would appeal today's ruling. His attorney, Jen Robinson, condemned the U.K. for extraditing Assange to a country which once considered assassinating him. In a statement, WikiLeaks said, quote, it was in Priti Patel's power to do the right thing. Instead, she will forever be remembered as an accomplice of the United States and its agenda to turn investigative journalism into a criminal enterprise. Jamil Jaffer of the Knight First Amendment Institute.
Institute at Columbia University tweeted, the Assange indictment is a dagger at the throat of press freedom. The Biden administration should drop the prosecution as press freedom groups have repeatedly asked it to do, unquote. We'll speak with Julian Assange's brother after headlines. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection has revealed Donald Trump knew his plan to overturn the 2020 election was illegal, but pushed his vice president, Mike Pence, to take part anyway in what the committee has described as an attempted coup. But Pence refused to take part after Trump asked him to unilaterally reject the Electoral College results on January 6th. The committee also revealed the architect of Trump's plan, the attorney John Eastman, also knew the plan was illegal but pushed it anyway. Eastman later sought a pardon for himself. Witnesses testifying on Thursday included Michael Lutig, a, a retired judge and one of the most influential right-wing legal experts in the country. He described Trump as a clear and present danger to American democracy. Judge Lutig warned that Trump and allies will also attempt to overturn the 2024 election if they lose, and this time they may succeed. We'll have more on the House hearing later in the broadcast. The Senate Armed Services Committee has endorsed an $847 billion military budget. That's $45 billion more than requested by President Biden. Democratic Senator Jack Reed, the chair of the committee, said some of the extra money is needed to replenish weapons sent to Ukraine. There is, however, a push in Congress by some progressives to shrink the Pentagon's budget. Earlier this week, Democratic Representatives Barbara Lee and Mark Pocan introduced the people over Pentagon Act of 2022, which calls for cutting $100 billion from the military budget. In a statement, Congressmember Lee said, quote, the amount of money the defense industry convinces Congress to spend each year doesn't protect us from real threats like climate change, pandemics, or cyber attacks. It only lines contractors' pockets. Just imagine for once if we led the world in funding peace and not wars, Lee said. Ukraine has moved a step closer to joining the European Union. Earlier today, the European Commission recommended Ukraine, as well as Moldova, be granted candidate status for EU membership. This comes a day after the presidents of France, Germany, Italy, and Romania traveled to Ukraine to meet with Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky. Earlier today, French President Emmanuel Macron said he would consider traveling to Moscow to negotiate with Russia's President Vladimir Putin if certain conditions were met. Macron last met with Putin two weeks before the invasion. The World Trade Organizations agreed to temporarily waive some intellectual property rights on COVID vaccines, but no agreement was reached on lifting patent monopolies on COVID treatments and tests. Hundreds of international groups, including Oxfam and Amnesty International, criticized the final deal, saying it will make it harder for developing countries to respond to the pandemic. This is Nick Dearden, Director of Global Justice Now. What we've got from the World Trade Organization this morning is a poor excuse for a waiver. It is not what we've been calling for for the last 18 months. And the fault for that lies with European governments, particularly Britain, Switzerland and Germany. So we're not happy about that. But there's one thing we can bank from this. It really is proof that the big pharma monopoly system did not help 
deal with the COVID-19 pandemic and did not help deal with it equitably. Most importantly, it drove vaccine inequality. At least 2,000 cows have died in recent days in Kansas due to excessive heat and humidity. Much of the United States has been facing a brutal heat wave this week as more than 1,800 temperature records have been shattered from California to Michigan. More than 100 million people have been advised to stay indoors due to the excessive heat. Europe and much of South Asia are also facing record heat waves this week. UCLA climate scientist Daniel Swain said more extreme heat events will keep occurring if global emissions are not slashed. Obviously, um, in the long run, the only solution is, to, you know, is to bring carbon emissions to close to zero and eventually halt global warming and thereby halt the increase in extreme heat events. President Biden has approved a major disaster declaration for Montana after massive floods forced the closing of Yellowstone National Park. Heavy rainstorms and melting snowcaps led the Yellowstone River to swell by more than two feet over its previous high. The raging waters swept away homes, bridges, and roads. New research shows temperatures in parts of the Arctic are warming at a rate seven times faster than the global average. This, according to the journal Scientific Reports, parts of the Arctic are nearly five degrees warmer than a decade ago. The warming is expected to lead to more extreme weather in North America, Europe, and Asia. In other climate news, a group of environmental organizations have sued the Biden administration over the issuing of more than 3,500 permits to drill for oil and gas on public lands in New Mexico and Wyoming. The lawsuit says that drilling could result in 600 million metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions. Jeremy Nichols of the group Wild Earth Guardian said, quote, the Biden administration's literally drilling away the climate. The nation's largest baby formula manufacturer, Abbott Nutrition, has been forced to pause operations at its plant in Sturgis, Michigan, due to massive flooding and after heavy rains overwhelmed the city's drainage system. The plant is expected to stay closed for a few weeks. The plant had just recently reopened after being ordered closed in February due to contamination. The plant's closure led to a nationwide shortage of baby formula, which still exists in parts of the United States today. Israeli forces have shot dead three Palestinians and injured ten others during a raid in the city of Jenin in the occupied West Bank. Al Jazeera reports 30 Israeli military vehicles took part in the operation. Last month, Al Jazeera reporter Shireen Abu Akla was shot dead while covering another Israeli raid in Jenin. Earlier this week, the Washington Post became the latest news outlet to conclude she was shot by Israeli forces despite Israel's initial denial. Meanwhile, an Israeli politician has sparked outcry after publicly saying he wishes there was a way to get rid of all Palestinians. Israel's deputy religious affairs minister, Matan Kahana, said in a televised speech, quote, if there was a button I could press that would take all the Arabs and put them on a train to Switzerland, I would. And in news from Egypt, the imprisoned Egyptian activist Ala Abdel Fattah is approaching his 11th week on hunger strike to protest the harsh conditions he's held under at Cairo's Torah prison. Earlier this week, one of Ala's sisters, Sana Saif, described her brother's dire situation. My brother is slowly dying in his prison cell, but he wants to live. 
uh, he misses life, he misses his job, he misses his son and us. On Sunday, my sister visited him in prison, Mona. When she saw him, she was shocked. She hasn't been able to eat since. Uh, the effect was such that she decided to start a hunger strike herself in solidarity. She told me I have to use my body as a portal to show people what's happening to Ali. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. UK Home Secretary Priti Patel has approved the extradition of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange to the United States. Assange faces up to 175 years in prison here in the U.S. if convicted of violating the Espionage Act for publishing classified documents exposing U.S. war crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan. WikiLeaks has announced Assange will appeal today's ruling. In a statement, WikiLeaks said, quote, Julian did nothing wrong. He's committed no crime and is not a criminal. He's a journalist and a publisher, and he's being punished for doing his job, unquote. Yep. Just before we went to air today, Assange's wife, Stella Morris, spoke at a news conference addressing today's ruling. The extradition order rests on a decision uh, to reverse the initial outcome, a decision by the High Court to accept assurances that are severely flawed, that the Amnesty International called that decision a travesty. That is what this extradition order is resting on. Um, we're going to raise points that have come up since the original extradition hearing back in uh, 2020. And crucially, one of the uh, most important developments is the revelation that the CIA plotted to assassinate Julian while he was in the Ecuadorian embassy and kidnap him and rendition him and was exploring poisoning him. This is known to the Home Secretary, but she signed it off anyway, but we will be raising it on appeal. That's Julian Assange's wife and attorney, uh, Stella Morris. We are now going here in New York City to Gabriel Shipton, filmmaker, Julian Assange's brother. Welcome back to Democracy Now!, Gabriel. Um, can you respond first to the Home Secretary's ruling? Well, this is, uh, you know, this ruling just says, you know, the UK government uh, agrees that uh, a journalist, a publisher, can be uh, taken from the UK, can be extradited from the UK solely for doing their job. So this is a huge, uh, hugely dangerous precedent that's been set uh, in the UK for journalists and publishers there. So this is a, just goes to show that this is a once in a lifetime uh, fight uh, for press freedom. And it is inching closer, or, you know, this is coming to the US, um, the UK government wants Julian extradited. The judiciary has, um, ruled against Julian in favor of the US DOJ um, to extradite Julian. So uh, I think people can no longer uh, rely on the UK government or, or the UK judiciary to uh, protect journalism, uh, that people in the USA uh, need to stand up uh, for press freedoms and fight this case. 
Um, a group of more than 300 doctors from around the world are calling on Patel to block the extradition. Of course, she chose not to, um, saying that he suffered a mini-stroke last October. His overall health is continuing to deteriorate. They write, the extradition of a person with such compromised health, moreover, is medically and ethically unacceptable. Can you talk about his condition right now, and will you appeal? So yes, that's right. Julian had a mini stroke uh, at the end of October. Uh, he has been detained in the UK uh, one way or another for the last 12 years. Uh, if you can imagine uh, what's that, what that is like, um, you know, Julian hasn't seen a blade of grass in in, in 12 years. Uh, he has been in a maximum security prison for the last three years. There's this endless uh, legal stakes and ladders that he has been put through, and it is really, uh, you know. He's a gentle, genius publisher. He's not a violent criminal. He is not convicted of any crime. Uh, he's an innocent man who's uh, been held in prison solely at the request of the USDOJ. And this is really wearing him down. Uh, he, he's been worn down over these 12 years. Uh, the UN Special Rapporteur on Torture, Niels Melzer, found that he was suffering the effects uh, of psychological torture. So, uh, you know, it's, it's so sad um, to see to see Julian, the Julian that I know uh, from years ago uh, and, and the Julian uh, that, that, I, that I've seen in the And prison the significance the of what months. it was that he released back in 2010 and uh, has continued to release information over the years, even when he was, what, in political exile in the Ecuadorian um, consulate in London. Yes, that's right. And, and none of the, so he's published evidence of war crimes, torture in Guantanamo Bay, uh, government corruption, uh, you know, the, even the collateral murder video that, that's world famous. None of these, uh, you know, and it's the publisher that has been punished in this situation. It's none of the criminals, none of the people who have committed these crimes that there is uh, much evidence for. Uh, it is the publisher in this situation that is that is receiving the punishment. Uh, the New York Times, the Spiegel, uh, Washington Post, The Guardian, they all published uh, similar information and none of them uh, are facing a, uh, a, the punishment uh, that Julian is. We are going to fight this uh, this ruling by Priti Patel. Uh, we have an opportunity to appeal, uh, apply to appeal to the High Court in the UK and then to the European Court of Human Rights. So we're going to fight this, but uh, with this ruling, uh, it's it's saying the UK government, uh, they want to move this forward. They want to extradite Julian to the USA. Finally, Gabriel, um, the issue of the United States um, assuring Britain, if it extradites Julian, he would be able to serve any sentence imposed on him by a U.S. court in Australia. What does this mean, especially given the new administration in Australia, the new prime minister? Uh, well, well, that's a treaty obligation that's available uh, to everyone who's convicted uh, in the USA. Uh, it sort of means nothing because, you know, by the time Julian gets uh, extrad extradited to the USA, uh, the uh, you know the, the court proceedings you know will be at least two years. Uh, if he ap ap uh, appeals to the Supreme Court, we're looking at an eight to ten year process. So you know if you add that onto the twelve years he's already been detained, that's twenty years uh, that Julian uh, has has had no freedom whatsoever. Three of those years in in a maximum security prison. So, uh, but it is those, interesting those, what is the new Australian Prime Minister has said in the past. Albanese, can you tell us? 
Yes, so uh, Anthony Albanese has, uh, in, in, in opposition, he said enough is enough uh, in regard to Julian uh, being kept in prison. He said, uh, I don't see what purpose is served uh, by keeping Julian in prison. Uh, that was before the election. Asked after he was elected as Prime Minister if he stood by those, uh, by those statements. And he said, uh, foreign policy, uh, not all foreign policy is conducted with a bullhorn. So that, that is a, that is a, uh, a, a very significant departure from previous government statements uh, where they said this is a matter for the UK courts. Uh, you know, Julian's receiving consular assistance now. Uh, Anthony Albanese has signalled that this is a foreign policy issue. Uh, and by saying that it's not, foreign policy is not conducted with the bullhorn, uh, it suggests that there are some uh, negotiations happening behind uh, closed doors. So, you know, Julian is very popular in Australia. There was a there was a poll in December, and 70 percent. It was in a national newspaper. 71 percent of those polled agreed with the statement that Julian should uh, be brought home. So the new prime minister has to represent the will of the people in Australia, and overwhelmingly, uh, people in Australia want this to come to a close. I want to thank you so much for being with us, Gabriel Shipton, filmmaker, and Julian Assange's brother. Next up, we're going to the highlights from Thursday's hearing on the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. Stay with us. hearing of the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. On Thursday, committee members revealed in detail how Donald Trump knew his plan to overturn the 2020 election was illegal, but pushed his vice president, Mike Pence, to take part in what the committees described as an attempted coup. But Pence refused to take part after Trump asked him to unilaterally reject the Electoral College results on January 6th. The committee also revealed the architect of Trump's plan, attorney John Eastman, also knew the plan was illegal, but pushed it anyway, and later sought a pardon for himself. Witnesses testifying live on Thursday included Michael Lutig, a retired judge, one of the most influential right-wing legal experts. In short, if I had been advising the Vice President of the United States on January 6th, and even if then Vice President Jefferson. This is the end. And even then Vice President John Adams. And even then Vice President Richard Nixon had done 
exactly what the President of the United States wanted his Vice President to do. I would have laid my body across the road before I would have let the Vice President overturn the 2020 election on the basis of that historical precedent. Retired Judge Lutig described Trump as a clear and present danger to American democracy. Thank you, he Judge. Trump and allies will also Send him a tweet. Thank the you. 2024 election if they lose, saying this time they may succeed. We're going to go now back to the beginning, to the opening statements uh, at the hearing by Pete Aguilar, a Democrat of California. But first, the vice chair of the committee, Liz Cheney, the Republican of Wyoming. Let me take just a few minutes today to put the topic of our hearing in broader context. In our last hearing, we heard unequivocal testimony that President Trump was told his election fraud allegations were complete nonsense. We heard this from members of the Trump campaign. We heard this from President Trump's campaign lawyers. We heard this from President Trump's former Attorney General, Bill Barr. We heard this from President Trump's former Acting Attorney General, Jeff Rosen. And we heard this from President Trump's former Acting Deputy Attorney General, Richard Donahue. We heard from members of President Trump's White House staff as well. Today, we're focusing on President Trump's relentless effort to pressure Mike Pence to refuse to count electoral votes on January 6th. Here again is how the former vice president phrased it in a speech before the Federalist Society, a group of conservative lawyers. This week, that President Trump said I had the right to overturn the election. President Trump is wrong. I had no right to overturn the election. The presidency belongs to the American people and the American people alone. And frankly, there is no idea more on America than the notion that any one person could choose the American president. What the president wanted the vice president to do was not just wrong. It was illegal and unconstitutional. We will hear many details in today's hearing, but please consider these two points. First, President Trump was told repeatedly that Mike Pence lacks the constitutional and legal authority to do what President Trump was demanding he do. This is testimony from Mark Short, the Vice President's Chief of Staff, who served in the Trump administration in multiple positions over four years. Just to pick up on that, Mr. Schwartz, was it your impression that the Vice President had directly conveyed his position on these issues to the President, not just to the world through a dear colleague letter, but directly to President Trump? Many times. And he'd been consistent in conveying his position to the President? Very consistent. Okay. But President Trump plotted with a lawyer named John Eastman to pressure Pence to do so anyway. As the federal court has explained, quote, based on the evidence, the court finds that it is more likely than not that President Trump and Dr. Eastman dishonestly conspired to obstruct the joint session of Congress on January 6th, 2021. 
What exactly did President Trump know? When exactly did President Trump know that it would be illegal for Mike Pence to refuse to count electoral votes? Here is one sample of testimony given by one of the witnesses before us today, the Vice President's General Counsel. Did John Eastman ever admit, or as you know, in front of the President, that his proposal would violate the Electoral Compact? Uh, I believe he did on the fourth. That was January 4th, two days before the attack on Congress. A second point. Please listen to testimony today about all of the ways that President Trump attempted to pressure Vice President Pence, including Donald Trump's tweet at 2.24 p.m. condemning Vice President Mike Pence when President Trump already knew a violent riot was underway at the Capitol. In future hearings, you will hear from witnesses who were present inside the White House, who were present inside the West Wing on that day. But today we focus on the earnest efforts of Mike Pence, who was determined to abide by his oath of office. As Vice President Pence prepared a statement on January 5th and 6th, explaining that he could not illegally refuse to count electoral votes, he said this to his staff. I mean, the Vice President said this may be the most important thing I ever said. And so this meaning statement to say that he really wanted to make sure that it was just that. You will hear today that President Trump's White House counsel believed that the Vice President did exactly the right thing on January 6th, as did others in the White House, as did Fox News host Sean Hannity. Vice President Pence understood that his oath of office was more important than his loyalty to Donald Trump. He did his duty. President Trump unequivocally did not. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Without objection, I recognize the gentleman from California, Mr. Aguilar, for an opening statement. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Today, we intend to show the American people that January 6th was not an isolated incident. In the weeks culminating before, it was a legal scheme and deception. We've already learned that President Trump knew he lost the 2020 election. Oh, President, Mr. President. Shortly after, he began to look for a way to circumvent our country's most fundamental civic tradition, the peaceful transfer of power. The president latched on to a dangerous theory and would not let go because he was convinced it would keep him in office. We witnessed firsthand what happened when the president of the United States weaponized this theory. The Capitol was overrun. Police officers lost their lives. And the vice president was taken to a secure location because his safety was in jeopardy. Let's take a look at the effect of Donald Trump's words and actions. I want to warn our audience that the video contains explicit content. Mike Pence is going to have to come through for us. And if he doesn't, that will be a, a sad day for our country. And Mike Pence, I hope you're going to stand up for the good of our Constitution and for the good of our country. And if you're not, I'm going to be very disappointed in you. I will tell you right now. I'm telling you what, I'm hearing the pinch. I'm hearing the pinch just caved. No. Is that true? I didn't I'm hear it. I'm hearing reports. 
some drugs through the streets. Yeah. I guess the hope is that there's such a show of force here that Pence will decide to just do the right thing, according to Trump. How did we get to the point where President Trump's most radical supporters led a violent attack on the Capitol and threatened to hang President Trump's own vice president? You'll hear from witnesses that Donald Trump pressured Mike Pence to adopt a legally and morally bankrupt idea that the vice president could choose who the next president can be. You'll hear about how the vice president, the White House counsel, and others told Donald Trump that the vice president had no such authority. But President Trump would not listen. You'll hear how Vice President Pence withstood an onslaught of pressure from President Trump, both publicly and privately. A pressure campaign that built to a fever pitch with a heated phone call on January 6th. You'll also hear that the president knew there was a violent mob at the Capitol when he tweeted at 2.24 p.m. that the vice president did not have the, quote, courage to do what needed to be done. Let me be clear. Vice President Pence did the right thing that day. He stayed true to his oath to protect and defend the Constitution. That was January 6th committee member Pete Aguilar's opening statement at Thursday's public hearing following Liz Cheney uh, and the chair of the House of the January 6th Select Committee, Benny Thompson, Mississippi Democrat. Congressmember Aguilar went on to question Greg Jacob, the top White House lawyer for former Vice President Mike Pence. This was live questioning during the hearing. This is Congressman Aguilar. Testimony in our investigation has made clear what the target of the rioters' ire was, Vice President Mike Pence. The rioters breached the Capitol at 2.13 p.m. received testimony that the president's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, was notified of the violence at the Capitol by 2 p.m. and likely earlier. The testimony further establishes that Mr. Meadows quickly informed the president and that he did so before the president issued his 2.24 p.m. tweet criticizing Vice President Pence for not having, quote, courage to do what needed to be done. And here is what the rioters thought. Nothing but a traitor, and he deserves to burn with the rest of them. So this, so this all escalated after Pence. What, what happened to Pence? Pence, Pence, didn't, Pence didn't do what we wanted. Pence voted against Trump. Okay, and that's when all this started? Yep, that's when we marched on the Capitol. We've been shot at with rubber bullets, tear gas.
immediately, everybody knew he was going to, and the president mentioned it like five times when he talked. You can go back and watch the president's video. This is our capital. Let's be respectful to him. There's four million people coming in, so it's a lot of control. We love you guys. We love the Although the president's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, has refused to testify before this committee, Mr. Meadows' aide, Ben Williamson, and White House Deputy Press Secretary, Sarah Matthews, testified that Mr. Meadows went to the dining room near the Oval Office to tell the president about the violence at the Capitol before the president's 2.24 p.m. tweet. Our investigation found that immediately after the president's 2.24 p.m. tweet, the crowds both outside the Capitol and inside the Capitol surged. The crowds inside the Capitol were able to overwhelm the law enforcement presence, and the vice president was quickly evacuated from his ceremonial Senate office to a secure location within the Capitol complex. Vice President's life was in danger. A recent court filing by the Department of 
of Justice explains that a confidential informant from the Proud Boys told the FBI the Proud Boys would have killed Mike Pence if given a chance. This witness, whom the FBI affidavit refers to as W1, stated that other members of the group talked about things they did that day, and they said that anyone they got their hands on, they would have killed, including Nancy Pelosi. W1 further stated that members of the Proud Boys said that they would have killed Mike Pence if given a chance. That's Democratic Congress member Pete Aguilar. Also during Thursday's hearing, Trump White House lawyer Eric Hirschman described in recorded testimony his call with John Eastman, the lawyer advising former President Trump on the plan to overturn the 2020 election. The call took place on January 7th, the day after the deadly insurrection. The day after. Uh... Eastman, I don't remember why he called me, and he, or he texted me or called me, wanted to talk with me, and he said he couldn't reach others. And he started to ask me about something dealing with Georgia and preserving something potentially for appeal. Uh, and I said to him, are you out of your effing mind? In that phone call. Right. So I said, I only want to hear two words coming out of your mouth from now on. Orderly transition. And I said, I don't want to hear any other effing words coming out of your mouth, no matter what, other than orderly transition. Repeat those words to me. And I feel that he said, eventually he said, orderly transition. I said, good, John. Now I'm going to give you the best free legal advice you're ever getting in your life. Get a great effing criminal defense lawyer. You're going to need it. And then I hung up on him. Mm -hmm. This is Congressman Aguilar. In fact, just a few days later, Dr. Eastman emailed Rudy Giuliani and requested that he be included on a list of potential recipients of a presidential pardon. Dr. Eastman's email stated, quote, I've decided that I should be on the pardon list if that is still in the works. Dr. Eastman did not receive his presidential pardon. So let's see what Dr. Eastman did as a result when he was deposed by this committee. I assert my Fifth Amendment right against uh, being compelled to be a witness against myself. Did the Trump legal team ask you to prepare a memorandum regarding the vice president's role in the counting of electoral votes at the joint session of Congress on January 6, 2022? Dr. Eastman, did you advise the President of the United States that the vice president could reject electors from seven states and declare that the president had been reelected? In the first sentence of the memo starts off by saying seven states have transmitted dual slates of electors to the president of the Senate. Is that statement in this memo true? Yeah. President Trump authorized you to discuss publicly your January 4th, 2021 conversation with him. that you can discuss in the media direct conversations you have with the President of the United States, but you will not discuss those same conversations with this committee. Yeah. Dr. Eastman pled the fifth a hundred times. <laughs>
That's highlights from the third public hearing of the U.S. House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. The fourth hearing is set for Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. We'll be live streaming that at democracynow.org. Coming up three quarters of the way through here. Okay, are you still there? Oh, great, you are. Excellent. You need to, everybody needs to hear this. Fucking share and, and watch it. Have parties, like, whatever you fucking do. Make it social, make it fun. Have a little fucking, like, indictment party and fucking everybody call. Congress 202-224-3121 demanding insurrection and, and terrorism charges. You know, you get to make demands. Or otherwise, these fools are just gonna, like, cover it up like Watergate. And because he's out of office, you know, it's it's a rat's nest of, of offenses, of criminal fucking, indict, criminally indictable offenses. <laughs> a rat's nest of a criminally indictable offenses. Hi, Negrito. Buenos, buenos tardes. Buenos tardes, bonito. Guapo. Hi, cutie. Mm, yeah. How you doing? You like it? Hi, buddy. I'm enjoying this, uh, these, uh, uh, Palo Verde peas. They're, they taste like, uh, edamame. So I was, like, harvesting. Harvesting that. Oh, yo. I suspect my foot hurts from attention. Here. You want some more? Anyway, so yeah, I harvested a bunch. And um, the green ones, the green ones taste like a, uh, like sweet peas. So this is my new favorite thing I'm sure. So. Really good for you too, girl. Not something your body normally gets. Something that our indigenous ancestors used to. I'm sure they used to snack on these things. Cause I extraordinary as hell. I'm, you know, like Chinese people mac on soybeans. That's what edamame is. Those are soybeans. Probably um, GMO if they're here. So that's another benefit of eating stuff like this. It tastes the same. Your body needs some like greenage. You're supposed to have at least like half fruits and vegetables, like green, like whole foods. And uh, yeah, here, buddy. Here, Trumpy. My Trumpy chicken. Trumpy El, El Trumpy. El Boyo Trumpy. Oh, that was so sweet. But except for my Trumpy, he's he's so he's much sweeter. Like he gives the foods. He just gave some the the pod to the lady. That's fucking generous as hell. Thank you, my love. Except for my chicken doesn't have. My Trumpy doesn't have a 38 
charges of sexual of SA. Right, and six of them against uh, Hi, my love. Six of them against boys and, and girls. Girls and boys. He didn't even erase. Not only, I can say this on my podcast. I can say this on my fucking podcast because it's my fucking podcast. Thank you, Anchor. But, no, that's a good joke, actually. Okay, trampy joke. I have a, this is El Pollo Trumpy. Um, his orange and has uh, his uh, toupee, but I think he's far more handsome and he's much more of a gentleman. And he doesn't have fucking 38 counts of uh, rape and sexual assault against women. Children, women and children, boys and girls. Fucking six. Hi, baby. Hi, baby. How you doing, cutie pie? He doesn't have... doesn't have a grito. You're so sweet. I have this one. I have so many purple... Big black... Big black chick. I like my chickens. Big and black. <laughs> like my man just kidding. Huh? But uh, yeah, I had I had a big black boyfriend when uh, Rolando met at a party and, and, and uh, like his friend said, so like she said she likes me and basically we dance we do dancing and he's like uh. Is the exception? The exception to him. I can say this on my podcast too. But, um, you know, American special, uh, you know, uh, African American men. Okay, here's the the unvarnished truth. You know, y'all's pickup lines. You know, they don't work. Uh, you know, they're too, they're fucking crass. Okay. So, normally, normally a guy, you know, uh, although, black dudes, I got my cherry popped by a, a fucking decathlete. Big black decathlete. Yeah, that's, hey Ola, if you're listening, that's, uh, otherwise you were the first, but yeah, I am glad you weren't the first, because you turned out to be a dickhead anyway, you know, took, took my, my love for granted, even though I banged a big, nice, big, handsome, black, the Catholics, shortly before... You popped my second cherry. But, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I was, I have no regrets about that. Yeah, that worked out really well. 
Wear a mask in public indoor spaces. Bye, motherfucker.